0: and welcome to the Dawn Chorus. I'm Bernard Hickey for the Kaka. I'm keen to talk today in my podcast with my email newsletter via Substack about a couple of climate issues, a political issue and a poverty slash crime issue. Firstly, we've got news this morning that Michael Wood, it turns out, blocked an attempt by the North Shore to uh, um, g- give its airfield a airport authority, which might have allowed the North Shore airfield to become a competitor with the Auckland airport as one of Auckland's official airports. Now, there were people inside government who argued that it should be given the uh, authority status, which would give some competition to Auckland Airport. The reason this is interesting, of course, because yesterday we found out that that Michael Woods owned $13,000 worth of Auckland Airport shares, which he hadn't declared, and he was the transport minister. It turned out also, um, because he was stood down by Chris Hipkins' Early yesterday morning, uh, early yesterday afternoon, is that um, he had been asked by the Cabinet Office six times (laughs) to sell these shares. Now he says um, he was getting around to it um, and was just waiting for some information back from a share registry and hadn't received it and turned out that the information had gone to an old email address. Chris Hipkins says this was not acceptable and that um, Michael Wood had some life admin issues. That he should deal with, uh, he has uh, stood down Michael Wood, and it's expected that once the shares are sold, that he would be reappointed. Although that was before this news today about the apparent conflict. Now, uh, Chris Hipkins uh, was actually asked about this in yesterday's news conference by Thomas Coughlin, who reports on this this morning in the New Zealand Herald, and there's a link to it in my email newsletter which uh, is not payable, so you can see the whole thing. Uh, I think it's reasonable for Wood to um, block the airport authority um, designation, or at least there are reasonable reasons for it. Um, and if you think about conflicts of interest, the biggest really is the fact that the government owns 51% of Air New Zealand and it has invested its entire future really and a lot of capital in the Auckland airport at Mangere and uh, this has been around before and again is one of the issues that we have now with partial ownership of uh, network style assets Uh, the government which in theory should be regulating these as monopoly type uh, companies um, in effect becomes a giantly conflicted shareholder in these things, as we've seen with the electricity industry. However, these are political issues now, and it does look awkward for the government, and we'll see what Chris Hipkins does or says. I suspect he will brazen it out and reappoint Wood after the um, very well-advertised and declared sale of these shares, which is proving awkward for a few people, including his um, partner, Julie Ferry, who was an Auckland city councillor and who also had not declared those shares, or at least her connection to the shares that Michael Wood had. He bought them as a teenager uh, and um, one of those things lying around. So uh, that's on the political issue. Secondly, on climate. We got news yesterday that National has decided to pull out of the he Waka ekanoa process. Now, for those who are familiar with their climate policy um, settings, let me try to explain what's going on here. So uh, uh, way back in 2008, the emissions trading scheme was set up and the agriculture sector was carved out of it. So there's various types of emissions, obviously. The carbon dioxide emissions that we pump out from uh, our cars and uh, our coal boilers and the likes. And then there's the nitrous oxide and methane emissions that are released as part of the farming process. Burps and farts and um, various uh, emissions that come out of uh, um, pasture-type farming. And until now, they've been excluded from the emissions trading scheme. So farmers have been able to emit, to be fair, along with a whole bunch of others in the uh, industrial um, uh, energy uh, user uh, category, those who are deemed to be um, competing with the rest of the world and therefore unable to um, really compete properly if they have to pay their true uh, climate emissions costs. So, uh, for a long time, farming has been out, and this has been a point of contention with those who say that farming should be in the scheme. Now, you could argue uh, nitrous oxide and methane are different type of, types of gases to carbon dioxide and have a different warming effect. Uh, my understanding of the science is that uh, initially, methane and nit- nitrous oxide are more warming than carbon dioxide but that they essentially deteriorate over time and um, are, uh, don't uh, accumulate in the atmosphere to warm for a long time. And that's one of the arguments that uh, farmers put to say you should, um, we should have a split gas approach to the emissions trading scheme rather than create some sort of one-for-one style equivalence between nitrous oxide, methane and carbon dioxide. So, uh, when the Zero Carbon Act amendment was passed, uh, uh, this, um, this whole issue was plugged in as a bit of a, a landmine, a ticking landmine in there, <clears throat> which said that by the end of 2024, well, January the 1st, 2025, uh, emissions from farming need to be measured and priced. So, uh, the government and the farming sector... <laughs> five years ago decided to come together and have a big long negotiation and consultation about how to do it and there's various ways that you can uh, price and measure these emissions Uh, uh, you can estimate um, what the emissions are from each farm using software and sensors and all sorts of things and somehow you can Put those emissions into some sort of market, um, create a credit system, do some trading, selling and buying, all of that sort of stuff. Secondly, you can effectively apply a price at the manufacturing level. So what you do is estimate what the emissions are and how much, how many emissions you get per kilogram of milk solids and uh, carcasses of lamb and beef and all of that, and then you apply a, you know, pretty brutal. Um, or blunt instrument-style price at the processor level. Now, farmers are quite keen on the idea of pricing at the farm gate level, which is trying to work out what emissions everyone has and also what uh, offsets they can claim. Because you could argue that if you uh, turn your your farm into a, a bunch of forests, you are effectively sucking up some of the emissions that are being emitted And then you should get some credit for that. And a lot of um, dairy and sheep and beef farms have been doing a lot of planting of trees alongside waterways, for their own uh, different reason to uh, reduce the runoff of um, poo and wee and all sorts of things into the waterways. And in particular the nitrates that come from the use of nitrogen fertiliser. So it's different from the emissions issue, low connected because the use of nitrogen fertiliser also um, involves the, uh, or turns into nitrous oxide emissions into the atmosphere. So another idea the government had was to tax nitrogen fertiliser. Fertiliser, or urea as it used to be called, and I remember it as a kid uh, because there were huge bags of it in the shed, and uh, I used to pour them into the um, hopper of the um, fertiliser machine, uh, and my dad would spread it over the grass. And um, so nitrogen is one way in which you can try to price these emissions by putting a tax on nitrogen. And the one of the ideas suggested in the background recently was $150 a ton um, uh, tax on nitrogen fertiliser. Well, last week, the Agriculture Minister, Damien O'Connor, was asked about this. And he said, well, yeah, I've had a chat with the farmers. They don't want it. Um, I probably won't propose it to Cabinet. Now, the reason this is all getting quite tight is that last year, the government came up with some recommendations from Hewaka Ikanoa. And in particular, they didn't agree with farmers that a whole bunch of recent planting of uh, trees, riparian um, trees, uh, should be included and offset. And so we're getting to the sort of uh, rubber-hits-the-road moment here, where actually we're starting to get some pricing, we're starting to understand what it means, and farmers came back to the government's um, proposals with the line that, um, hey, if you do this, we're going to have to basically shut down a whole bunch of uh, farms. And uh, so there's been this back and forth between the government and the farmers, and the, the government was supposed to come up in early 2023 with the final recommendations on what to do about pricing emissions from farming. Nothing. Crickets. So it's now June the 7th, and we still don't have um, recommendations or an agreement or even much discussion between the government and farmers earlier this year. Now, one thing that was interesting about Heiwaka Walker is that for a long time, pretty much from the start, this was seen as a bipartisan process. So National and Labor were quite keen on this, let's work it out with farmers process. And uh, what we found out yesterday from Todd McClay, the National Party's agriculture spokesman, is that he thinks Heiwaka Eka is dead and National are going to go their own way with their own uh, policy for bringing farmers into some sort of emissions pricing scheme. Now, um, how that's done is up for grabs and it's clear now that bipartisanship is over on that. Just as we learnt last week, well, it was confirmed last week that bipartisanship was also over on the issue of um, medium density residential standards, effectively, how to deal with not just climate change but housing affordability in our cities. So, one of the uh, sort of interesting bigger picture things here is that for a long time, both of our main centre right and centre left parties. Have talked a good game on climate change you know, yeah we're committed uh, to getting down to carbon zero by 2050 we've agreed in the um, Kyoto protocol and the Paris agreement that we're going to um play our role we'll be a good good boys and girls and we will ensure that we get our emissions down we'll do our part in this fight to stop the planet from overheating and killing us all um and so you can say that for quite a long time, particularly when you've got a long-term you know, climate issue. The whole thing about climates is they seem to change very slowly, and that gives you a bit of time to work it out. And for a long time, we thought we had time. <laughs> and you could legitimately, I suppose, say, you know, hey, this is going to hurt us right now. Um, just hold on there. We'll, we'll work it out. We'll find some new technology. Uh, we'll come up with a system. And uh, we can we can take the pain later. But now it's just a bit hard, isn't it? Because um, you won't vote me in if I give you some pain right now. And uh, the approach of both Labour and National was very much um, pain later, please. Um, we're dealing with it. Just believe us. We're going to come up with something. Well, uh, that makes sense when you've got time, but we've run out of time. Uh, the planet is warming faster than um We agreed we would allow it to warm and uh, we're going to hit 1.5 degrees at some point within the next five years. According to the UN, we know that 1.5 degrees is about as high as you can allow it before you risk some sort of catastrophic um, cascading of tipping points um, and collapses, ice shelves, that sort of thing, uh, where you have the risk of runaway climate change. And uh, there are some ominous signs growing around the Arctic and the Antarctic and with water temperatures and storms that uh, something is going on that is very, very uncomfortable. Now, it could just be El Nino, um, but uh, really the rubber has to hit the road now on climate change and we can't muck around anymore. And there has to be some impact. Now, um, you can argue... You know, hey, uh, we're going to reduce our future emissions liabilities and emissions pain by taking the pain up front. That's uh, 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 one way to do it. It's very hard to do politically, and um, we're we're getting to the point now where uh, bullshit is being called on the um, uh, the delay strategy, <laughs> and um, for both national and labor. And we've seen, um, when the pressure goes on, these bipartisan agreements to try to do it nicely, that eventually, when you get closer to elections, they crack. And that's what we saw yesterday. So what happens now? Uh, Well, the government could magic some solution up in the the next uh, few days, because they don't have a lot of time left. They've said that they need to legislate something or get something into Parliament by the middle of the year. Well, it's June 7th, guys. And um, you better get better to move on because we've got an election on October the fourteenth, and Parliament rises on August the thirty first. So um, th- we've literally got two or three weeks worth of um, sitting days to get a, get get this moving. And according to the farmers, the government haven't had a chat uh, <laughs> since the beginning of the year. Uh, so um, this is all coming to a head now. The risk for the farms, of course, is that the clock is ticking on the legislation that's already there um, to start pricing emissions from the end of next year. Now, uh, in theory, National Act could get in and say, "Okay, well, we're going to repeal that bit of the um, Zero Carbon Act. That would be interesting. And certainly it's a question we're going to be asked when they come out with their policy. Todd McClay said that National would come out with their policy on including farming in the emissions trading scheme or pricing emissions in some way before the end of the year. Uh, he reassured, again, yesterday, it reporters that National had a plan that would mean we'd meet our emissions commitments, reduction commitments. But we did it in a way which meant that farmers didn't have to change too much or have to reduce production or um, make lower profits. So... Um, That's an interesting uh, statement and now needs to be put under a lot of pressure once we get some details. And let's hope we get some details pretty soon. Uh, Todd McClay talked about in the coming weeks. Again, um, time is running out in all sorts of ways, in legislative ways, in political ways, in environmental ways. So I'll keep an eye on that. Um, The next thing to keep an eye on is climate uh, refugees. And it's a debate that um, we're just not having and we're not talking about. And I thought it was interesting to see the University of Victoria's climate science expert, James Renwick, uh, talking yesterday about New Zealand's position as a quite attractive place compared to the rest of the world as the planet warms. And this is true, particularly for those people in the in the particular Asia-Pacific hemisphere that we're in. So we're talking about China, India, Southeast Asia, Indonesia, the Philippines. We're talking a couple of billion people who are living in latitudes that are likely to become virtually unlivable or uninhabitable if we have a 2, 3, God help us all, 4 degree rise in temperatures by 2100. And my estimate is that we're looking at about 100 million of those 2 billion people who would be in a position with the resources and the wealth to be able to look to migrate to a less hot and dangerous area. And it's not just the physical climate, uh, although um, when you get some wet bulb temperatures over 50 degrees, that's a problem, um, which you can only solve with an awful lot of air conditioning, which usually involves the... um, consumption of some energy Uh, you better hope it's renewable and uh, that's 100 million people who will want to come and um, stay in New Zealand where it's it's hot but it's not quite as dangerous or hot as where they live at the moment and we may well want them Uh, and in a ways we may not have a choice Um, people turn up and uh, they stay and um, this will be one of the big challenges for the entire world particularly Northern Europe and Northern America over the next 100 years, how do you stop people at the border who are desperate to come somewhere slightly more livable? Do you stop them and say, you can't come, Um, yes, the climate's um, too hot for you to live, but um, let me just build this wall higher. Uh, And New Zealand will have to think about this. We're in a slightly um, privileged position in a way in that people just can't walk over our border and they can't swim, and they can't take a dinghy, they're probably going to have to do something quite well organised, uh, and that gives us some flexibility, I suppose. But um, th- then we have all sorts of issues about, you know, how we decide that you're a tourist or a, or a migrant. <laughs> and um, we're not talking about this. We should be, and James Reenwick is right to uh, say, let's have a closer look at this. Uh, in an interview with Jesse Mulligan yesterday. So I've included details of that in the email and um, have a close look at that. I'm also going to keep an eye on this Park Terrace issue. Uh, Christchurch City Council votes today on whether to dismantle the pop up cycleway on Park Terrace. This is a flashpoint in the um, urban activists versus double cab ute driver debate. And uh, it's interesting to see the press's editor, Kamala Heyman, put, uh, do the unusual thing of, a, of putting a bringing forward an editorial from the usual editorial section of the paper, which no one reads, uh, through to the top of page three, top right of page three of the press today, which is really a editorial judgment to say, you should look at this and here's what I think. And although it's quite um, even handed in its writing, Kamala Heyman has written an editorial saying, um, please keep the Park, <laughs> park Terrace cycle away. We'll see how that goes. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was today's Dawn Chorus for Wednesday the 7th of June. Uh, Kaki Town all.